guys welcome to in the zone i'm your host garrison roy and today we have a full-length interview but before we get into that right if you got any questions or any other topics that you guys want to bring up right you can email those in to in the zone podcast one two three at gmail.com right we don't run ads on the show because we believe in value exchange so you know we don't want to make any money off of this it's all straight content just for you guys um and also ads are, are annoying. They suck. Nobody wants to listen to ads while they're, you know, trying to learn learn more. But with that being said, I will go ahead and introduce our guest for today, Ryan Hamilton, who is the owner of Hamilton Chiropractic and also the head coach at Carlmont High School. Ryan, what's up, dude? How's it going, Garrison? Going great, dude. Glad to have you on. I know I've been following you on the, the Twitter sphere for a little while. So I was glad to kind of get us to arrange this uh, podcast episode and, and talk some shop. Yeah, I've been listening to your podcast. I love what you're doing. It's kind of the perfect podcast for me. It's kind of what I've been looking for for a while. So Great. baseball, performance, coaching, love it. That's it. That's it. So yeah, um, it's so to introduce this, I guess a lot of people don't know that obviously from that intro, but like being a chiropractor and a, a coach is a really interesting dynamic to me. And I want, well, we can kind of dive into that a little bit, but um, I want to circle back, but even before then to what your, your playing career was like. Yeah. So I played at Aragon high school and that's in San Mateo, California, uh, NorCal. And yeah, yeah, I was a pretty good high school player and I was nothing special. You know, I was, you know, 510, you know, 170 pounds. I could run, I could hit a little bit. Um, and I had good high school stats, but I was definitely not a D one athlete. Um, but I, I did play well as all County, um, and got some D three offers and AIA offers even had a couple D two sniff around. Um, but I was also very academic and kind of made that hard call whether or not to go to a D3 and and play for four years or if I wanted to go towards a more academic school and ended up taking the academic route and went to UC Santa Barbara. And I did keep playing. So they had a club team there. I kept playing for the club team uh, for four years. And then every summer, I would still play semi-pro with guys who were going to Santa Clara, Stanford, St. Mary's, and we would play, you know, up and down California into Nevada and stuff. So I was still playing yeah, basically still playing college high level ball. Baseball. Yeah. And, and had a blast doing that. And, you know, even though I didn't get the NCAA experience, I still got to, to play some high level baseball, some really good pitchers, saw, saw guys who got drafted, you know, face guys who got drafted face guys who were throwing, you know, 90 plus, which back then was, was, was fast (laughs) now, maybe not so much. Um, but yeah, I got to, got to have all that experience, you know, go on the road, play ball, you know, travel with the, with the boys. It was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So were you, you were a pitcher or did you play uh, the field or where did you play? I was, so I was fast. So I was an outfielder mostly, but I could play anywhere. So in high school, I was, I was always started the season off as a center fielder and we'd always get guys for some reason. It was always third base, third base just couldn't, couldn't have grades, couldn't um, hack it at third base with errors and stuff. So I'd end up being shifted over to third base and I was always third baseman. And then I would start one of the games on the mound but I wasn't I was a guy who's a finesse pitcher just throw strikes make you yeah. make you hit the change up didn't strike anybody out and that's what I did that's what I did same, same. I just had the plus off speed the plus curveball yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> through awesome. 75 about probably oh really yeah. I mean I, I ran it up a little bit more than that but 
you know, it's it's one of those things where you're just playing for the love of the game at that point, you know? Like, whether you realize it or not, something in the back of your head's like, oh, yeah, more than likely, like, at this point, like, you can have that wishful thinking that maybe some breakthrough would happen, but you just know that, like, hey, we're just playing to play. Yeah, I just had no mechanics on the mound, too. Like, I, I know, like, I threw hard from the outfield. Like, I could throw guys out in the outfield. I could throw across the diamond. Once yeah. I got on the mound, just didn't know how to use my body. Oh, for sure. Well, and yeah. if we had some of the resources back then that we do now, it would be it would be interesting to see how things would pan out for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No doubt. Well, so, yeah, I guess through that, through your playing career, and then obviously you decided to go to chiropractic school, how has uh, going to school, doing that kind of impact the lens of like maybe how you view players or how you view what we talked about mechanics a little bit, right? Like how do those um, intertwine for you and how do you, or do you look at those differently or, or do, do they mesh together? So they mesh together. So I take a lot of what I kind of know and my experiences, whether it's, you know, on field experience or it's, you know, in the office experience as a chiropractor. Yeah. Um, just understanding mechanics, like the stuff I know now, like even now as you know, the Carmont coach, I wouldn't say I'm the hitting coach. I wouldn't say I'm the pitching coach, definitely not the pitching coach, but I do know mechanics. And so I can kind of look from a different lens and be like, okay, well, this guy's not moving how he should be moving. Let's, let's come over here. Let's step away from the mound or step out of the box and let's kind of fix this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have a pitching coach who is absolutely phenomenal we have a hitting coach who is absolutely phenomenal played d1 ball our pitching coach played pro ball and you know they are wizards with what they do i kind of take it from a different lens and kind of look at it more of like a movement specialist in general exactly i can kind of look at it from you know i can zoom out a little bit where they're totally focused on okay let's do that let's do that you know fix the mechanics here 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 whereas you know i'm kind of looking from top down and, and seeing, you know, that just doesn't look right. Let's fix your, your hip or let's, let's fix, yeah, this movement. So it's a little bit of a different lens than probably when I first started coaching for sure. Yeah. So it definitely helps. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and I'm sure most of those interventions aren't always just cracking backs or like having to call them in and take x-rays and stuff. Right. So, yeah. I mean, clearly, cause my dad's a uh, chiropractor, I have a b- uh, better background, but for those who are listening, they may not, understand exactly like what it is you're going to implement versus just like you know joint manipulations or things like that yeah one of the best things that i like about my profession is that it's really open-ended and you can you can kind of make it what you want and so there are chiropractors who like that's all they do they just you come in you know they're going to adjust your back they're going to do it pretty similar every time you come in and and send you on your way Mm-hmm. I like being more of kind of a physical therapist in that I'm treating everybody different. I'm, I am doing manual therapy. I'm a, I'm an ART provider. I love doing soft tissue work on guys, but I also love looking at movement, you know, training mobility, training stability, um, and just training dynamic movement systems. And to me, that's how you fix people. You know, you can, yeah. you can adjust people, you know, every day of the week, they're probably going to come in the next day with the same problem. But until you kind of address what the problem is, it's not going to get better. Oh, no doubt. Well, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you might be hearing the the pitching coach or the hitting coach, like yelling at, not necessarily yelling, but like they're regurgitating the same info over and over. And they're like, why is this kid not getting this? Yeah. Is it, you know, more of a movement solution problem where, if, you know, kind of gets into a little bit more of the eco D side of things, or is it they physically don't have the anatomical structure or anthropometry, like range of motion to be able to, to do that. Right. Like it's like if your hips are oriented a certain way or your, your pelvis is kind of, you know, maybe a little off kilter, then like you're going to move and compensate a little bit differently. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I love looking at, you know, right now I'm diving deep into the coordination aspect of that coordination, mm-hmm. coordination yeah. and control. And that to me, you know, looking at things neurologically and seeing how 
you know, guys just don't even know where their body is. And, you know, I had a patient come in just the other day and he's a youth baseball player. He's about to go into high school. I think he's in eighth grade right now. And he doesn't really have any pain per se, but he's, his parents know he's getting to that age where he's playing a lot more. They're kind of worried. They saw someone break their arm the other day. And so he's coming in to see me to make sure everything's getting checked out. And so we're kind of going through orthopedic tests, table tests, which tell you a little bit, but then once you get him actually moving and you see like this guy, this kid just doesn't understand where his body is. He doesn't know how to control his core. He can't control, you know, anything from the middle. And once we fix that, the kid's going to take off. And so that's where a lot of this stuff gets really exciting is when you start being able to fix that stuff, especially for these high school kids that I coach, then you see them really start to own the box or own the mound where they can, they know exactly what they're doing. Why is this, why is this kid missing arm side every time? Right. It's probably something coming, going on from the middle. And once we fix that, boom, now he's locked in and he can, he can hit each half of the plate. 100%. And just to clarify, when you say the middle, it's more like proximal, right? You're thinking more exactly. pelvis, something exactly. a little bit more closer to the midline, and it's not always further away. Um, although sometimes it, in, the, in the midst of things, right, like you are in a game where you're in practice throwing live ABs, like you got to make game-like adjustments when you're there. You can't go and just be like, rip them into the dugout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah back and be like all right you're good and let's go yeah yeah yeah, yeah. If, only, if only if only it was that easy then i think every high level baseball program would probably have one of those in their um <laughs> in their back pocket you know? yeah most likely if it works it, it works and then it'll get it, it'll get rolled out real fast yeah yeah one of the uh the tweets that you know i i really liked from you was that stability doesn't equal balance and I think a lot yeah, of yeah. people do kind of mix up those, um, you know, they do kind of seem like they are used synonymously mm-hmm. um, in certain contexts of like conversation, but they're not the same. And from right. your perspective, how have you, or maybe you could give a practical example on the differences between the two. Yeah. So the easiest example is just a single leg RDL. And so I'll have people go through a single leg RDL and, and whether it's, you know, a geriatric patient or it could be an athlete and I have them go through single leg RDL and that's, you know, not holding on to anything sure. and they start to, to go into it and they start to wobble and, or start to fall over and they're like, Oh, my balance is terrible. And I go, okay, hold on a second. Let's just lift your leg up and see if you can hold your leg up without moving. And they can usually do that. No problem. I go, it's not your balance. It's your stability because as they start to move and their hip and their foot have to know where each other are, that's where they start to lose it because their brain doesn't know where those two, two pieces are. And that's, that's the biggest difference between stability and balance. Balance is not movement. Stability is being able to control through movement. Skip ahead the next 60 seconds if you don't want to find out about a company I co-founded, Ink Sports Performance. So here's the scoop. At Ink Sports Performance, we get it. We were athletes ourselves, former college and professional pitchers. We were also former college coaches as well. Rob and I, we don't do one-size-fits-all programs. We custom craft each training and throwing program and offer that one-on-one coaching support that you need where you're not just a number. We're all about that personal touch. We'll dive into your training videos, whip up some of the program designed to take you to your next level. Nothing cookie cutter here. So if you, one of your friends, or maybe a player that you know is serious about competing at the next level, hit us up on our website, give us a call, get that set up at inksportsperformance.com. And also just a heads up, we're also very selective who we take. Right, we only take a handful of dedicated athletes, and if you're not putting in the work, we'll have to say goodbye. So let's ink you in to the next level. That's really cool. I like that analogy a lot. Um, 
because it's all also parallels a lot with assessments, right? And you kind of glimpsed at this a little bit before. It was like, hey, like you have that table test or those balance things that you look at, which only tells half of the picture. But whenever they have actual dynamic movement involved with that, you have that stability piece or those other pieces that you're able to see how all of these joints and things like come together to make an actual movement solution or movement pattern. Okay. You know? So um, how is, have you always done like, you know, just kind of strict, I want to say PT like assessments, but has that evolved over time for you to kind of get into more dynamic or do you mostly look at the uh, skill itself and then work backwards from there? It's definitely evolved. So it's, it's always, it's a constantly evolving process. So when I, when I got out of school, out of chiropractic school, it was a real struggle because I saw what was going on at school and I didn't completely agree with how we were treating patients. You know, I want, I wanted more. And, and so I, I seeked out chiropractors who kind of thought the same way. And I got kind of lucky where I found a really great chiropractor in Boston named Michael Melander. Um, And that's where I, I, I worked for him. I worked for him for two years and he gave me kind of a blueprint on, you know, how to treat people a different way than the classic chiropractic model. Sure. And, you know, went through kind of his system for two years, moved back out to the Bay area, opened my own space. And that's where kind of the learning takes place. Cause now you don't have this guy like telling you how to do it. And so now I had to create my own things. And then as I've gotten more into my niche into baseball and softball players, it's like, okay, what I'm doing isn't enough and I need to go beyond. And so now it's looking at more movement based stuff. It's looking at more. I wasn't doing a whole lot of stability stuff in Boston. I'm doing a lot more of that now. Um, and the whole, I, I love Dr. Gallo's movement flows. I'm incorporating that into my office and and seeing how that can change a lot of things for players and really it's it's i feel like i'm just kind of scratching the surface right now like i still have a lot more work to do i'm really excited about the stuff that's that i'm about to start doing the next couple months and so it's it's constantly evolving and and if i you know looked at what i was like three years ago as a provider sure i was helping a lot of people but I mean, it's, it's kind of night and day, even just my assessment there. Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, I could say the same for my strength and, and throwing implementation too. Yeah. Yeah. Within the past five years, it's definitely evolved quite a bit. Um, That's the fun part. It is. It is. That's the, honestly, the, the most interesting thing about it is knowing that like, you're never going to, or if you are stagnant, then you're not really going to get much progress. You're always constantly learning and, you know, like you said, you're pulling things from Dr. Gallo or Armored Heat, like those guys, um, you know, they do a really good job of kind of seeing and exposing the like weak links, I guess you could say of like what people left out. Um, yeah. Asked from just the frame of thinking. Yeah. Um, just kind of go off that tangent a little bit with, um, you know, Dr. Gallo's movement flows have you personally tried out any of those or have you just kind of like had some athletes do it or i've personally done it and it was it was a challenge for me i'm not gonna lie I did it yeah it was i remember the first day i did um it was uh the first the flowing and yeah i, I thought some of them okay some of these you know are gonna take a little bit of time but it's not that bad and then I woke up the next morning and I was sore and I was like, how, how am I sore from this? And it's just, it's the same, you know, go back to the whole stability and coordination and being able to flow from one movement to another. And it's really challenging. And it's just like, um, you know, learning how to do FRC the first time mm. and understanding how to do that and, and, and changing your mobility. And, you know, I took an FRC course a couple of years ago, we, it was a two day course next day. Yeah. Everybody's sore from doing what we did the first day and you're just learning oh, yeah. how to use your body. It's a, a different it's a, way. It's a new, new stressor that they're, you know, people aren't used to doing. Yeah. And that's where the magic is. You know, if you, 
if you only did what was easy all the time, you know, you'd never get any better. And if you're able to challenge your body in different ways, that's, that's where the magic happens. hundred percent. Have you looked into, and for those of you listening, definitely check out Dr. Gallo, his stuff on movement flows on Twitter. It's all out there. Definitely feel free to check it out. And it, it just makes sense. Um, but before even he had that, I was kind of diving in a little bit more of um, Ido Portal stuff. If you ever looked into his stuff at all. Uh, I, I have not. Yeah. So that's a good one for you to look up, especially for those of you listening. So it's uh, on YouTube movement. It's about an hour long. Um, but think of his movement flows. Cause he's like a, his background is more training guys like Conor McGregor, like ultimate fighter champions, right. Or, um, he was really big into jujitsu and, and, a, and a bunch of different styles of fighting, but he was going with like flow of movement. And I went and saw one of his disciples in Florida back in, oh, 2019. Yeah, I think it was 2019 um, of that summer. And basically like they just have a big open floor and they're just like, hey, you're going to do these like animal flows, but, like basically mimicking like how certain animals would move it was like an alligator or an ostrich or like a horse it was like a horse walk and i integrated that into some of my warm-ups and like movement okay. days for guys and um you know the biggest thing that they obviously i was trying all this stuff out myself to like try to implement it but they're like hey you're very rigid in your movement like you get here and then you just like Boom, you plop down you probably experienced that a little bit doing dr gallo's flows yeah where it was like hey i'm going here and then all of a sudden you know it's just like really rough um right. a hard like slam versus the flow or like you know you're going from a 90 90 and then trying to get to the ground or coming up like is it like really stiff and like spastic or are you actually taking that flow to movement um where everything's a little bit more graceful I could saying it in, in words, you know, I'm trying to describe this as best I can. Yeah. Um, you I know, think but... I am a little bit familiar with that because I worked with a trainer a few years ago. This would have been like 2018, 2019. Yeah. And, and we were doing some like animal, like not walks, but like animal, like crawling and, and different yeah, stuff. Yeah, That's probably where it came from. Crawls, like it's, you know, bear yeah. crawls are a little bit more, uh, generalized, but there, there's other ways that you go about it for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. We were doing like monkey, he called it monkey, something monkey crawl or monkey walk. And then there was like gorilla walk and then there's something else. So that's probably where yeah, it yeah, there's from. a bunch. There's definitely a bunch. Yeah. Um, and he would do some other ones like cartwheels or like, you know, handstands or having people like stand on other things. He's has like a beginner thing, the very beginning of his like journey with this. And then it's, it's evolved a whole lot too up until present day, but definitely check that video out. It'll yeah, I will. be something, but, um, you know, and just kind of looking at how conversations through Twitter and all these people that we see are kind of evolving, um, you know, just baseball itself has kind of evolved from like, you know, back whenever we were playing lifting was probably not the biggest, you know, talked about aspect of, of trying to become a better player. Like it was definitely very new or very fresh uh, as compared to now. It's like, Hey, if you don't lift, you're kind of behind the eight ball. But um, with you coaching out in your area, what, what have you seen? Do you feel like that kind of stacks up or, um, you know, is, is there any, any other like players or schools or schools of thought, that are kind of still maybe a little bit behind the eight ball as of like the, the recent like evolution of, of player development. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I was playing, I was fortunate enough that I actually uh, lifted with Barry Bonds, his old trainer, Greg Anderson in the area. And so there was, we had a nice community of, of players. It was, you know, a combination of high school guys um, JC guys, you know, and four year guys, and we all lifted together. That was, that was a lot of fun. And that was a blast. And that's kind of what started me on this journey actually was probably, probably a lot of that. Um, no doubt but now it's, it's grown, it's growing. I mean, I would say it's better than it was even four years ago when I moved back that mm -hmm. it's starting to be 
you know, be more accepted. I mean, when I came back in 2018, I started helping out with the, with the local team. I was getting bombarded with questions, you know, the old myth, like, isn't this going to stunt your growth? Isn't this going to make, you know, the players really tight? And it was coming from parents, parents' concerns. Um, you know, isn't this going to hurt my performance on the field? And, you know, since I've become the Carmont head coach, you know, I was the assistant. So there's probably a big thing that plays into that and that the assistant was doing it before. And now it's the head coach saying, this is what we're going to do. Um, yeah, but I haven't had any of those questions since I came to Carmont, which I think is all you can probably chalk that up as well as people are becoming more educated. It's more out there, you know, driveline has certainly done a big part of that. Eric Cressy's done a big part of that, you know, and just, and just, it's more accepted and it's, and we, we're, getting different facilities around California and the Bay area. Um, and so more guys are, are lifting a lot, lifting often lifting heavy. Um, and so, you know, it's may not it's always definitely, be, answer, but you know, oops, what, what's that? So which may not always be the answer for some guys, but oops. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what we do at Carmel. We, you know, we go, we take a lot of stuff from West side. So we go, um, max effort, dynamic effort, try to, you know, try to change it up as much as we can and, and see what people need and change it up a little bit on an individual scale. But, um, you know, there's still schools around that even some of the private ones, they really don't lift much, if at all, definitely not during the season. I think we're still the only public school, you know, I don't want to say only cause I don't know hundred percent but I'm one of, I don't hear of other public schools who lift as a team, take away practice time <laughs> to work, to work out during the season, hmm. to lift during the season. Cause you, you have to pick and choose whether you're going to be on the field just based on off our section rules. Um, so it's, we're kind of a rare breed in that case, but it is getting a lot better. Like I don't see a lot of teams just going through, you know, circle up, we're going to do some arm circles. We're going to do some static stretches and now we're going to throw, you know, full out. I don't see that as much. It's kind of rare when I see that now I see yeah. a lot of plyo balls. I see a lot of, um, dynamic warmups. I see a lot of good movement stuff going on from a lot of different teams. Coaches are just getting more and more educated and starting to permeate from the top down, which is really exciting to see. I'm even seeing travel, travel ball, you know, teams, do a lot of different stuff that is encouraging to see. Um, we're getting more educated on, you know, pitch, pitch limits and pitch counts and and how that affects, you know, how fatigue fits, affects pitchers and how much rest should they be getting and how many innings should they throw during a calendar year. And, you know, when I first started coaching high school ball, it was, there was no pitch count and it was, we would face some guys who throw 150 pitches. When I pitched in high school, I had back-to-back outings of 140 plus outings and that was the norm. And now that is, you know, those are days gone by and it's, it's encouraging to see kind of what's going on, especially in the Twitter sphere that the information is getting out there and it's starting to trickle down and people are seeing it and making, making them think and it's like, okay, is there a different way to do something? So that's really fun to see, especially it's, yeah, it's starting to trickle down into even like really young youth leagues as well. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, um, you know, kind of going back to your point where it was like a while, yeah, I would say probably 20 years ago where it was like those arm circles and then like the static stretch, like the football stretch that most people did, yeah. you know, they're all circled up to now it's like, you know, your dynamic warm up, your J bands, your plyos. Um, and I think there's a little bit of a pendulum there where like, you know, that 20 years ago wasn't hardly enough probably. So then now, you know, or maybe over the past five years, whenever I was playing, I was probably doing too much during that time or like way too many plyos or way too many you know, dynamic warm up stuff because you know have like the the old adage term of like, hey, if you're not sweating, your underwear is not wet before you pick up a ball, then then you're not warmed up. I'm yeah. like, uh, I mean, that might be a little too much if you're like really sweating that much or you have 
perspiration issues, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's definitely, it's, yeah, it's, you know, I always, I'm always wary of absolutes, right? So anytime you hear of, oh, you have to do this, or if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. And um, it's funny to watch, you know, the, the industry really sway, like you said, like a pendulum is that, you know, it was lift as heavy as you can every single time. And then it was, okay, well, let's now focus on doing really minute movements. And there's always, you know, it's always somewhere in the middle. Always is. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's funny to see people argue about it and then start to figure it out. And it's, it's fun. It's fun for, you know, and, and, you know, it happens to me as well. And it's fun to, fun to learn it for yourself as well. And it's, it's an exciting time. Definitely. Yeah. It's really cool to kind of see all this, this evolution of, of, you know, baseball itself, honestly, within the past 20 years, it's been nuts. Like how fast, but even then part, part of me too, like learning a little bit more of the skill acquisition side of things and like, um, you know, how a lot of this training and stuff transfers. I still think a lot of it, even those who claim that they're, you know, ahead of the game they're still in the dark ages as far as getting it to transfer over to performance um you know trying to add in as much game-like situations as possible or, or variables within the game so for example like having a hitter in the box more in bullpens or having you know pitch calling things like that during practice versus just having you know less context where you're just throwing to a catcher and you're just going through the motions um, there's a time and place for that. Don't get me wrong, but I think a lot of that um, is is very watered down in in baseball right now. Unfortunately, um, you know, but it's just kind of like you know what everybody's known, and it's gonna it's gonna take a little bit longer, I think, for for that to completely flip and switch over. Um, oh yeah, I mean, and it's and it's the same thing that applies there too. Like it's always somewhere in the middle, right? There's there's a time and place you see the Ron Washington infield drills. That's just like over and over and over again. Similar, you know, one hoppers right here. You know, bare hand, go to glove, go to knee, standing. Um, there's a place for that. You know, we we do EDDs just like kind of similar to what Ron Washington does, and then we go and and create a different um, competitive environment where, you know, we have different, you know, first and third scenarios, bunts and bunt games, stuff like that. And that's, that's actually an interesting piece too, is when I first started coaching again in 2018 as an assistant is I was list, I had, you know, all the podcasts, you know, synced up. I had the ABCA podcast. I had uh, Jonathan Gelnar's podcast. I had, you know, what have you, Patrick Jones baseball, you know, listen yeah. to all these different people like, okay, now when I go back in there, I'm going to do this and this and this is going to be crazy. Like the development is going to go off the charts. Like this team is going to be the best team ever. Right. And so then when I get out there and start doing this stuff, you realize really quickly the stuff that you wrote down and then you go back on the field, going to be going to look a lot different and maybe the players aren't going to buy in completely. Yeah. And that was yeah. one thing. Yeah. And you, you think that they would understand it when really they, <laughs> they don't quite get it. You yeah. gotta and repeat then, yourself a lot. Yeah. And it's been, been a process and, and now I'm starting to figure out like, okay, I can kind of push them a little bit more into this direction while still holding on to this over here. And we can kind of, like we said, meet, meet in the middle and everybody's better for it. And then we can kind of do different things and you get more buy-in, you get more belief, you get, you know, guys who really like certain things and you figure out what that is and you do more of that. So it's, yeah, everything, you know, tying in, learning how to assess, learning how to treat with learning um, how to coach on the field with different ideas and, and blend them together. You know, it's, it's always, it's always a process. It's always finding, you know, the middle ground is, is where a lot of that good stuff is. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Well, before we kind of wrap this up, I have a few other questions for you, unless you have anything else. Um, but I guess more from like the chiropractic practicing standpoint um, or like, you know, whatever lens you want to look at it. What are some common 
issues that you've been seeing like pretty frequently with guys, whether it's like limited overhead shoulder flexion, or I know like TOS has definitely been something I've seen recently, definitely kind of rear its head a whole lot more. Um, you know, just kind of curious to hear your perspective of what you've been seeing and what, what's been common, um, commonplace for you lately. Yeah. So I put a, one that's kind of interesting that I've noticed for the past couple of years. And I, and I commented on a post from armored heat. They just put out a post about this Mm -hmm. and it was about a decrease in, in neck rotation. And yeah. And one thing I'm noticing, and I, I don't know, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg problem, I think. And I'm noticing guys who say you're a righty thrower maybe 50% of them, if they have shoulder pain or elbow pain, will have a decrease in active left neck rotation, active left cervical rotation. So opposite of right-handed picture. Yeah. Opposite of the throwing arm, decreased neck rotation. And why I say it's chicken or the egg problem. Is it that their shoulder pain has altered their mechanics and now they can no longer rotate their neck or is it because they lost their neck rotation, you know, as they turn to look, pick up the target and now they have to rotate their thoracic spine. And then that puts them at a disadvantage with their shoulder and with their elbow, increase the stress on all three of those. And now they come to me because now it's starting to break down. And it's just something that I've found that has been really weird i didn't expect to find it until i started seeing it over and over and over again yeah and it's it's something that you know i i fix i address and but then i'm also treating the shoulder i'm treating you know the elbow i'm treating the thoracic spine what have you um and it's just something that's really interesting that i keep seeing and i'm not sure when it's happening Obviously, you know, I would have to, I would have to, I would have to be there and see as it's happening, which is almost impossible. One really interesting interesting. case I had a few years ago was we're trying to determine if he had like TOS type symptoms or not. Mm. Obviously I'm no, I'm no chiropractic, but I was just like, Hey, like let's do these tests. So at least like somewhat self-diagnosed before we send you off to like a specialist or see what might be going on. Um, so like had like a field goal test, right? Where both your arms are yeah. up at 90 degrees. Bruise test. Yep. And then they pull back, rotate, but also doing the TOS test where you're feeling the pulse, right? Mm-hmm. So you come up here. When their head's forward, no problem. Well, as soon as they turn to where they need to go, like even to their throwing side. So let's say it's a right, right-handed thrower and they're turning towards their glove side, right? Then that's when they lost the pulse. Yeah. Right. So it was, it was really interesting to kind of see like, oh, wow, even even just that slight change of you turning your head changes everything. Right. You know, right. for for those of you who don't know, um, I do have a previous podcast on thoracic outlet syndrome with Dr. Uh, Tori Baker. So feel free to go listen to that one. Um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting to, you know, just kind of see everything, like you said, from a zoomed out lens see the bigger picture of how all these kind of come together, but then also cool part about your, um, I guess, expertise is you can zoom in and actually go in and make some changes if, if needed. Yeah. Follow the chain. Yeah. Find, find where the issue is and address it and fix it. That's it. So you'd say like cervical rotation, I think obviously, you know, zooming out even further, um, more environmental pieces. So like people are sitting all day or like they got the cell phone neck out, they're down here like this, right? Like those are definitely huge factors. I think if everything's leaning forward. Then, you know, you have that upper cross syndrome, uh, kind of as, um, rearing its head. Um, oh yeah. That's, I mean, that's no pun intended there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's definitely one that, I mean, you're not going to fix any, like you, you get the kid who comes in, who's, you know, usually either going through puberty or just post puberty Mm. and they basically can't hold their, hold their spine up and it's, they're just completely flexed forward. And then if you tell them to sit up straight, they sit up straight and they have to lean on the table to be able to hold, hold, hold themselves up. 
and that's super common. And those guys, you know, have usually hardly any shoulder flexion. Um, well, yeah, because lats are probably still short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and pec minor is is on fire. Yeah, and but those guys, like, yeah, I can treat pec minor. I can open up the lats, you know, with ART with some soft tissue work, and and it'll be okay for you know thirty minutes. But it's really about understanding how do we control the core, how can we own that, mm-hmm. and until well, that yeah. is once you learn how to do all that, then everything else kind of opens up. That's where exactly. PRI kind of like dove down that a little bit where they're like, Hey, you learn how to breathe, use your diaphragm, you increase internal rotation, range of motion, or like range of motion and all these different joints. Right. Which is really cool. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of like skeptical with some of that. Like I, I've seen it work, but like you said, like even with ART, like it's only going to open up for so long. And then like, is that just the band aid, or is there a more, um, long-term, fix to that yeah and that's the fun part too is is when you have all these different things whether it's pri dns frc you know put any three-letter acronym you want in there and they become tools that you start to learn when they were like they would actually work yeah but what does this patient need like even even for me as a chiropractor i look at manipulation as a tool I'm not going to adjust every single patient, which is probably <laughs> for some chiropractors. That goes against my, a lot my, of what chiropractors believe, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah, that's that's blasphemy for a lot of chiros. Um, but I don't. Um, I you know I use it as a tool, and so is it over fifty percent? Yeah, it's over fifty percent of the people that I adjust for sure. But it's it's another tool that sometimes can be applied to for great benefit. Sometimes though you get that hypermobile patient. Why am I adjusting them? Yeah, they need a lot of stability, a lot of um, you know, control. I guess we could kind of go a little bit down this rabbit hole of coordination too while we're at <laughs> yeah. it. Right. It's like, you know, coordination of what I've had um uh, a, a couple coaches, Tyler Yearby and uh Sean Mizga, who are over emergence, they're football guys. Uh-huh. So, like that's kind of how I'm doing more continuing education now is I don't look in the sport of baseball anymore because <laughs> you know, there's, there's other things to kind of be exposed Yeah, that aspect, but they, they posed that question to me. It's like, all right, coordination of what you can be coordinated by swinging a golf club, but you also can't be coordinated to, you know, hit a baseball or you're coordinated to surf on a surfboard, but are you coordinated to, you know, ride a bike. Like those are very different skills, very different tasks and very different environments too. And I was like, well, okay. Yeah. Like, so I had to expand my, my viewpoint a little bit more. Whereas like that, that, uh, the triangle that I like to call it was like, Hey, there's the athlete, there's the task. And then there's the environment. And a lot of people, um, you know, as of late have been really focused on the task or the athlete. And they don't seem to zoom out and look at the environment or even, you know, um, psychological aspects of it, which is also kind of ties into the athlete. But I think it, it the environment does influence that a lot, too. Um, but what are your what are your observations on that as far as like how coordination can be? Um, I guess, constrained to, to help out with with that like after let's say you already did manipulations or you did all this stuff how do you get them to learn how to coordinate and be effective in their skill yeah so environmental factors are huge so um in the office it's 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 different and it's challenging um for for my baseball players or softball players you know it's there's only so much you can do within the office because they have to go out and be able to, to control it outside and move, move dynamically. And so what we really focus on is for instance, if I, if we have a, a player who comes in and we'll say loss of shoulder flexion and we can increase that range of, of shoulder flexion through ART, Mm -hmm. um, even through thoracic um, mobilization and, 
and a little bit of core control. The biggest thing that, that I feel like allows them to own that is through um, neurological grooving. So I got J bands in my office. And so I will put them into, you know, the junior J bands um, for most people. Yes. Cause that's, I definitely agree with you there. <laughs> probably a little too thick. Right. Yeah. So I'll put them through that and it's like, okay, well let's, let's control your shoulder flexion. And maybe, maybe it's a point where we don't even use the, the, the J bands and we go PVC pipe back against the wall. Let's, let's, uh, back and neck against the wall and let's go into shoulder flexion. And can you keep all three points up against the wall as you go into shoulder flexion? And even if they don't have full range, we're controlling We're making sure that they can coordinate into getting into shoulder flexion and really grooving that new range that we just got so that when they go out on the field, their brain is able to say, Oh, this is a safe position now. And I understand this position. I've been here before. And so, I mean, to kind of answer your question, to go into like, you know, coordination of what, it really just depends on what we're trying to coordinate, right? Are we trying to coordinate, you know, are we trying to coordinate the anterior core, you know, anterior abdominals? Are we trying to coordinate um, even just the shoulder stability aspect and be able to control a bottoms up kettlebell press? And, you know, the fact that, Sometimes that doesn't always translate to the field. You got to start somewhere. And so that's, that's usually where I start to go is, you know, where are we lacking? We'll fix that in here and then we'll get more dynamic as we go into kind of more movement based stuff. Oh, hundred percent. Well, and I'm glad that you said that because, you know, that's, that's where I think a, a lot of like, even some of the advanced coaches around, these days, like they say that they're like, oh, hey, we can open up all this stuff or they do all the the ART or the the FRC and stuff. But then it's like, OK, how are you getting that to bleed over into the actual skill itself? Like you said, you're limited um, based on your environment where you're at in the office, but then you're, you're able to see them go to the field and then you're like, OK, hey, you have these other things that you can implement as well um, to help them learn how to utilize that new range of motion versus just opening up range for the sake of range of motion. Yeah. Right? Or whether it's, yeah, it's, you know, dry you know, needling with PTs or whatever. It's like you do that and then you expect them to just go out and throw, you know, depending on the, the situation, of course, but like if you, you open up all that range and then you add no strength or, or stability to it, like you mentioned before, then you're waiting for a bomb to explode in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you got to challenge the system somehow and whatever method that you have to challenge the system, you know, that's, what's really going to, going to groove whatever you're trying to affect there. And, and that's what I found where kind of people have taken off is once we started doing that, once I stopped being just an ART practitioner and going more into, okay, well, let's, let's make a little bit more sense. And let's, let's do something that, that actually allows them to feel what they now have. And, and that has kind of exploded results with players is now they, you know, they become the owners of, of their body rather than, yeah, you know, well, being beholden yeah. to me. <laughs> Which is great. That's, that means that you're, you know, you use this analogy a lot, teaching a man to fish versus you serving him up the fish every time. Yeah. You know, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. That's really cool. Well, Ryan, you got any other closing thoughts or, you know, comments, things to to touch on, or obviously drop your, your social handles and stuff here too towards the end, but. Um, closing thoughts is I put out a post a while ago and I tagged the ABCA about, I'm looking for other people who are either like a PT or DC who are also a head coach somewhere, whether that's high school, college, what have you. Um, I haven't really found anybody yet. Yeah. So that's looking for someone just to talk shop about like what that experience is like, what, you know, what ways are you bringing in the office onto the field? Um, And I'm still looking for that, for that person. 
and yeah. haven't found somebody yet. So I know they're out there and <laughs> just don't have the resources yet. Maybe to so. find them. They're, they're at least emerging from the schools and then eventually bleeding into that. Or yeah. Sure. Um, well, yeah. For any of you, those who are listening, who know someone who might be into that, or, you know, maybe they're not full-time coaching, but they still have that. Or maybe you have PTs and Kairos that are maybe wanting the, the passion to have that dynamic of both or vice versa. Maybe a coach is looking to advance his education and go into PT or Cairo, like as, use Ryan as a resource to, yeah. to get there. I really think that's going to be the future with, with especially MLB. I think the oh, PT. Yeah, there, I, a lot of organizations already have those type of, um, uh, they are out there. Don't get me wrong. I, I yeah. think of a few. Yeah, I think we're going to be used more on the field in in the future. We're going to be more, you know, within the video room, within everything, um, rather than just being in the office and and treating players. It's going to be more more involvement with PTs and DCs on on more performance based stuff on the field. So, I'm looking for that to start happening. So, that's why I want to kind of pick people's brains on that stuff. That's cool. I love it. I love it. Well, yeah. Where can they find you at, Ryan? Where, where how can they can get in touch? even if they're not local, like how they reach out and find you. Yeah. Best place to find me is on Twitter. Um, my handle is at the baseball DC. Um, I have my website is Hamilton and Instagram is Hamilton Kairos at Hamilton Kairos. Um, and we are in San Mateo, California in the Bay area. And Twitter is the best place to find me. That's, that's what I run. My wife, who is also a chiropractor, she runs the Instagram page. Oh, very cool. Did I know that? That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice little dynamic there for sure. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you coming on. And for those of you listening, stay in the zone. Thanks, Garrison.